is to stay distant from the object of your affection. When governments renowned for ruthless cuts in public spending can suddenly conjure up trillions. When toilet paper becomes a commodity as precious as diamonds. And when according to Zizek, a new form of communism may be the only way of averting a descent into global barbarism. From pandemic, COVID-19 shakes the world. Upcoming by Slavo Zizek. Uh, hey, welcome everybody. I'm glad that you glad that you made it. Uh, I'm just picturing y'all sitting out there in your Sunday best, family gathered around your phone or your laptop, uh, getting ready for some church. So I'm glad I'm glad that you made it here. Uh, this is week three of our pandemic uh, podcast church service thing. Um, well, uh, our president says we'll be back uh, by Easter. I'm not too sure about that, uh, but we will be there. We will be with you for a station of the cross in Easter in some way. We just haven't quite figured out what that way might look like yet completely but we will be there to uh celebrate the uh um yeah the suffering death and resurrection of our lord we sure do miss you all though debbie and i uh when we give these amount announcements usually we get to stand up and look right out at you while we're giving them and look at all your smiling faces i know where you all sit too and so i can just picture where you might be you know before we went on this uh, rest at home or shelter in place or safe at, in space situation on Friday, Debbie and I miss you all so much that we were uh, we were going around and uh, peeking in some of your all windows just to get a, a glimpse of you. So um, yeah, it's called uh, pastoral peeping. Um, it's uh, it, it was used uh, during the uh, the flu pandemic of 1918, and uh, I think. It was independently used by some people ever since then, pastoral peeping. So if you felt somebody was watching, that was probably uh, Debbie and I. But uh, of course, now we can't go out anymore, so uh, we just have to have to imagine. Uh, 
Well, hey, you know what we should do? Let's say hello to the hardest working band in the pandemic band business. It's the Mercy Machine. We got a nice hymn from the Mercy Machine today. Also, we got fantastic guest artist, Dan Jelton. Prayers by Julie Bach. And uh, I will be giving part three of post-apocalyptic praise song as a sermon. Next week, we'll return to regular sermonizing. Well, I hope you're well. I hope you're hopeful. I hope you practice gratitude and mercy with one another. This is the House of Mercy, and welcome to it. Won't you please join us in singing House of Mercy hymn number 110, When They Ring the Golden Bells. There's a land beyond the river that we call sweet forever. And we only reach that shore by face decree. One by one we'll gain the portals there to Please join me in the prayer of invocation. God of mercy, wherever we are at this moment and in the week to come, we ask you to be with us in both common and extraordinary ways and to be with those we love. Get inside our six feet of social distance and touch us with your mercy. Amen. Hello, House of Mercy friends. This is Dan um, in my little spare uh, bedroom. Uh, which is now full of guitars and gear. It's a rainy Saturday afternoon, and um, 
I'm bringing you greetings from Lisa and myself. We miss you, miss seeing your smiles and especially miss your hugs. Um, and I hope we'll all be together again soon. Uh, in the meantime, I'll do a couple songs for the podcast. I'm going to start out with a happy tune from Leo Kotke called Watermelon. And I'll follow that up with uh, my version of an old hymn called Love Divine. Love, love Divine, all love's excelling. But we'll start out with, um, with Watermelon.
please join me in the prayers of community. God of mercy, you know that we have never experienced a pandemic before. You know we have questions that cannot be answered. Thank you for knowing that about us. Thank you for being acutely aware of our terrors, our boredom, our anxieties, our grief. We acknowledge that we are in great need now in ways we cannot begin to count. We turn to you with confidence that you hear us and love us. We ask you to provide the world with enough hospital beds, enough ventilators, enough protective equipment, enough tests, enough doctors and nurses and other medical staff, enough money for those who are losing jobs and income, and enough information in enough time to save as many lives as possible. We pray for those in medicine and public health who are on the front lines of this emergency. We ask you to provide them protection and stamina and serenity and deeply restful sleep when they can get it. We pray for our world, national, and local leaders, for clear heads and compassionate hearts, for selfless gestures and moral compasses. Please keep our leaders healthy so that they can do the work of keeping us healthy. And we pray for the House of Mercy community. Help us to stay connected. Show us how to aid one another during this time of isolation and after it is over. For those in our community who already have the virus, we pray for swift, uncomplicated recoveries. Bring us all safely to the day when we can gather together again. Let your blessing be upon us always. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayers. The scripture reading for today comes from the Gospel according to St. Matthew, chapter 10, verses 34 through 39. Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And one's foes will be members of one's own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, or whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take up the cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Those who find their life will lose it and those who lose their life for my sake will find it. The Word of the Lord. Post-Apocalyptic Praise Song, Part 3 Do you have to be awake for it to be a vision? What if you can't remember if you were awake or asleep when you saw things? What if when it was all over you woke up but not like waking up from sleeping. This whole thing feels like waking up to me. The reason I'm thinking about this is because the last vision or dream thing I had started with me waking up. I woke up to the song. It was playing on my clock radio. I rolled over to look out the window to get my bearings. The sun stabbed at me. I rolled back over to look at the time. It was past two in the afternoon. That song on the radio? 
Then an announcer said something like, this is post-rapture radio. We'll be here with you until we get it all figured out. Did it really happen? Did the world end? Was the meeting of the commission commission announcing the world that the world did not end? Was that premature? Was it the song they sang? Did it work? If so, why was I still here? Why was I left behind? This might take some getting used to. To be honest, being left behind wasn't that bad. It really wasn't that different. I thought there would be a lot less traffic and shorter lines at the grocery store, but it was about the same. Actually, I don't think I would even have noticed that the apocalypse had happened if it wasn't on the radio and in the paper. I was out pretty late the night before, and I slept most of the day, so I guess I missed all the fire from the sky and the rivers turning to blood and the mayhem resulting from all the people vanishing. They got it cleaned up pretty quickly. There was a backup on Selby Avenue, but I was walking so it didn't affect me. I did see a trash can on fire. Maybe that was from some brimstone landing in it? I was going to try and put it out to do my part during this time of tribulation to be a good citizen, but it looked kind of cool, so I just left it. At first, when I read about the end of the world, I tried to feel bad or sad or scared. I even put my newspaper down and yelled, No! But my heart wasn't in it. I just felt kind of happy. It was weird, but the world didn't feel as dark and scary as it had before. And then when I went outside to check it out, I realized I was practically skipping. I was ex- it was exciting. A lot of other people were out too, looking around. And everyone was talking to each other, saying things like, Man, can you believe it? The end of the world. I never thought I would live to see it. And do you think we have to go to work? It was like a snow day. It was nice because people aren't usually on the sidewalk. Everyone is usually sealed up in their SUVs, honking at each other and giving each other the finger. But now people talk to each other. There's something to talk about, I guess. It's kind of funny, because the apocalypse, if you said something to someone on the street, even like, do you know the time? Before the apocalypse, they would think that you were weird or that you were trying to rob them or something. Most of the time, they wouldn't even talk to you. They would just scowl at you, clutching their purse or feeling for their wallet and walk away. Now you can go up to anyone, anywhere and say, too bad about the world coming to an end and the wrath of God being poured out on all nations. And it's perfectly normal. They will say, boy, you're not kidding. There was a bit of a crisis at first because everyone was still getting used to living in the time of tribulation and people weren't really sure what to do. There was a scare because people stopped buying stuff. There was a confusion about whether or not you had to have the mark of the beast to go shopping, or and no one knew where to get the mark of the beast. The Commission Commission issued a press release that everyone should keep buying stuff for now, and that C4 stores were having a post-rapture sale. Everything must go. There would be a press conference that night. All the leaders of the Commission Commission were going to speak to explain everything to everybody. I had read the book of Revelation quite a bit, but I wanted to bone up on what was going to happen, what did already happen. 
so I could know what to look for. I had Bibles at home and at the office, but I went to a C4 bookstore to buy one. I didn't really want to go home to get one. It was pleasant being out and about and talking to people. It seemed like one should be with other people in times of crisis. Plus, I thought it would be fun to test the whole Mark of the Beast thing. All the C4 stores seemed pretty crowded. I guess the press release worked. In the bookstore, they had a huge display of Bibles right in front, and they had a cash cash register set up next to it. They must have brought in extra help. There were a lot of people working to restock the Bible display. They were selling them almost as fast as they could put them out. I could see more people working in back. They were ripping out all the pages of the Bible except for the book of Revelation. I grabbed a copy and stood in line. When I got to the register, I held what was left of the Bible up to the cashier and said, Hey, do I get a 65% discount on this? She looked at me funny and not in a very friendly way. I said, you know, because there are 66 books in the Bible and there's only one left? It's a joke. She didn't smile. She took my money and said, there's the only one you need from here on out. It was about an hour before the press conference, so I went to this bar I like, where I knew I could watch it. It was crowded, too. The only place to sit was at the bar. I knew the bartender. His name was Chris. I sat down and said, Chris, it looks like Armageddon makes people thirsty. He was too busy to pay attention. No one thinks I'm funny at the end of the world. Chris gave me my usual, without his customary, pseudo-detached, ironic comments because it was so packed. That is when it hit me. What was Chris doing here in my dream, in my vision? What was I doing in my neighborhood bar, in my neighborhood? I had awakened in my bed in my house. I had never been in my neighborhood in a vision before. I had never reflected on the vision while having the vision before. I had walked into the C4 bookstore like I had been there a hundred times, like it wasn't weird at all. My vision world had somehow leaked into my real world. I started to hyperventilate. I felt like I was having a panic attack. Breathe, someone said over my shoulder. I turned around and saw the smile. It was idiot John. I looked at him with all the questions. Just read what I wrote, he said, looking at the Bible on the bar. It was still about 40 minutes until the press conference, so I read. I'd never found Revelation so interesting. It's like when you read a book that takes place in your city or see a movie where a scene was filmed on your block, but more than that. I noticed stuff I never noticed before. The book is funny. It's sort of like a farce or a black comedy, but with a really serious point. What I never got that the whole book is really about idol worship. That is what the whole book is about. It starts off really grandiose. John says that God gave him this message. That God, John's, John says that God gave this message to Jesus, who gave it to an angel, and then the angel appeared to him and showed him the vision and told him to write it down as a message to the seven churches in a part of the Roman Empire that is basically Turkey. So the message that God and Jesus and the angel want John to write to the five out of seven churches is, 
Don't be such idol worshipers. These churches were all in pretty well-off parts of the Roman Empire, and life in those cities was pretty good, pretty comfortable. So it was easy to give in to what was going on around them. The people in these churches had adopted the culture of Rome, and so the message of Revelation is that they are living by the values of the empire and not the values of the kingdom of God. They had Christianized the cults and the culture of the empire and could no longer see what they were doing. The whole of the book is telling and retelling of how the Roman Empire looks to one who has not been assimilated by it. It contains a constant call to repent and come out of Babylon. It says, you think the empire is comfortable? You think wearing a toga with a fish logo on it is bearing witness? Wake up! Hear what the Savior has to say to the churches. John writes that they have abandoned their first love. They eat the food of sacrificed, sacrifice to idols. He says, wake up. You think you're rich and prosperous and you need nothing, but you do not see that you are poor and naked. Worship God, not the idol of power and money. The book then goes on to paint this fantastic picture of all the horrible things that will happen to idol worshipers and all the great things that are to come for non-idol worshipers. Here's the farcical part. The one who's going to mete out all this horror is introduced to John. The angel says, see, look at the great lion, the conqueror. And John looks and sees a lamb, a slaughtered lamb, no less. Not really as ferocious. In one line, it says, everyone hot, in one line, it says, everyone hid in caves to escape the wrath of the lamb. The wrath of the lamb? What kind of wrath does a lamb have? Then this vision has all of humanity alternately worshiping idols and God. All of humanity worships the beast and Satan and the whore of Babylon. Then all of humanity worships God and the Lamb, back and forth, back and forth. At the climax of the book, when all evil and the enemies of God are defeated by the Lamb, the angel tells John that all the idol worshipers have been thrown into the lake of fire and that everyone will be invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And you know what John's response is? He falls down and worships the angel. Idiot John! The angel says, what are you doing? Get up. Worship God, not me. Then there is another great battle with the beast, and all the idol worshipers are again slaughtered. And then God makes a new heaven and a new earth and comes and lives with all of his creation. Yeah, the amazing, almost incomprehensible thing about the book occurs in chapter 21. After all these cycles of warning and judgment and calls to repent and come out of Babylon and live in the kingdom of God, the opposite happens. The churches don't come out of Babylon. So God brings the kingdom to them. Revelation 21, 1 through 3 says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem coming down and out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling of God is with men. He will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be with them. He will wipe away every tear from every eye. 
There will be no more death or suffering or crying or pain. In conclusion, Idiot John says, The angel showed him all these beautiful things and said, Blessed is the one who keeps to the words of the prophecy of this book. And you know what John's reaction is to this? He falls down and worships the angel again. I am not kidding. The conclusion of the book that calls for all humans to wake up and come out of the empire and stop worshiping the idols of the empire so that they don't suffer eternal torture is that no one comes out of the empire, so God brings the, em the kingdom of God to the empire and promises to live with them and love them and wipe away every tear from their eye. And just in case you don't get the point, John finishes up by worshiping an idol. They were all trapped in the culture of the empire and could not free themselves. They were all idol worshippers, even the great messenger of God. They couldn't help it. This is it. This is the true story. Babylon and the New Jerusalem are not places. They are relationships. The conspiracy does not want us to know this. They don't want people to see that the contemporary culture is Babylon and that the church and Babylon are hopelessly enmeshed. They would be shocked at the suggestion that their values are in any way similar to the values of the contemporary culture. In truth, the Babylonian relationship is what defines the conspiracy. But it is not just the conspiracy. We all live in the Babylonian relationship. We cannot free ourselves from the evil that we love. We cannot get ourselves to leave Babylon. So God comes to get us. The new Jerusalem comes down from heaven, and God dwells with us. I heard the TV, so I looked up. The press conference was starting. The same khaki pants, the same golf-shirted, sit-on-a-stool leader of the Commission Commission who spoke at the Mega Mall Church and declared that the world did not end, was now saying that they had made a miscalculation, and there was some evidence that it actually did. He went on to say that in these terrible times, evildoers must repent and return to the churches so they can be saved. That now is the time to put faith in the institutions that are best prepared to deal with this situation. Someone asked a question, What evidence exactly do you have that the world ended? His eyes darted to the other khaki pants, golf shirts, before he answered. Well, actually it's more of a hunch. It just seemed like the timing was right. Another reporter followed up. If the apocalypse had occurred and the rapture had taken place, how come you all are still here? How come you were left behind? Um... The contemporary Christian khaki guy cleared his throat. Uh, let me correct you. The sinners have been left behind, and the best we can figure is we've just been held back. It's different. I looked over at Idiot John. He was smiling. I asked him, Is it really the end of the world? It usually is, he said. John, I asked, After all you saw in your vision, how could you still fall down and worship that angel? He looked up at the TV and smiled. I guess we just can't help it. So this is what the end of the world is like. Like I said, being left behind isn't bad at all. It is really not that different from before the end of the world, except 
I guess I'm happier. Next time.